You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We're studying together the New Testament letter of Paul to the Philippians as we're headed into the biggest party the world has ever known. That's the birthday of Jesus. Jesus is the biggest person in the history of the world, and Christmas is the biggest party in the world. And it's amazing how almost everybody stops in the whole world just for this one guy's birthday. What's curious is that we know where he was born in Bethlehem, but we don't know exactly when he was born. That is, what month, because Scripture doesn't tell us. So the way we got this particular date for Christmas, December 25th, is that the early Christians lived under the time of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was a pagan empire with pagan holidays. And one of those pagan holidays occurred in December. It was called Saturnalia. And the Christians already had the day off because the Romans celebrated with days off around that time. And so they reasoned. We don't know when Jesus was born. Well, let's just use this date to celebrate his birth. And that's what they did. That's how we got this particular date. So we may not know exactly when Jesus was born, but we do also know, besides Bethlehem, we also know how. It was through his mother, Mary, who was a teenage peasant girl. And she was given this tremendous gift of being able to bring God into human history. Now, she was honored to take part in this miraculous birth, but I don't believe for a second that it was pain-free. I believe that her labor was just as normal, you can read, just as painful as any other mother's. I mention this because several times throughout the Bible, the analogy of birth and birth pains is referenced in terms of suffering That leads to joy. When something painful happens to you, you may wonder, is there any usefulness in this? Yes. God uses it to birth joy. God can use your pain and suffering to birth joy. Our study of Philippians today is about finding joy in the midst of suffering. And the man who writes this, the Apostle Paul, 104 verses, that's the totality of this letter. 19 times he uses joy and rejoice. His theme for these people is to find joy and rejoicing in the midst of their suffering because he's certainly suffering. He is being used of God to birth joy into his life in the midst of a time where it's very difficult for him. In case you missed last week, here's the secret to Philippians. Paul is writing this from prison in Rome. He's been falsely accused, arrested, and he sits down to write a book about about joy. While he's in prison, his wrists shackled, To a Roman soldier as he writes, here's the big idea. Your hardships, your troubles, your trials are great. But don't let them draw you toward bitterness. To to walk away from the Lord, 
to nurse your hurts. Instead, invest them. Let God birth in and through you a brand new joy in the midst of. See, Paul's going to start today by saying there's joy in speaking about Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, then you should be constantly talking about testifying, proclaiming Jesus Christ, the person and work of Jesus You can do that whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're healthy or unhealthy, there's always opportunity to talk about Jesus. Here's how Paul continues his letter for us. He writes, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here in defense of the gospel, Here's the point. If you tell people about Jesus, there's going to be a reaction. It's not always positive. Some people don't like Jesus. And you tell them about Jesus, they won't like you. But don't take it personal. Paul continues, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they could stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now, from this passage and the rest of Philippians, we are going to find four categories in which Bible teachers, pastors, individual Christians, churches can operate in. The first category is this. There are those who have a good message and good motive. You see, God not only cares about what we speak and what we do, but He cares about the motives that are behind it. So there are those who have a good message with a good motive. These are the ones that Paul talks about that are preaching Christ out of goodwill, out of love, out of true motives. These are the ones who love Jesus and they love Paul. And Paul is in prison, so they help fill in the gaps in his absence. So what, in effect, they are doing is saying, okay, the Apostle Paul is not here. But if he were here, this is what he would say, this is what he would do, and we're going to continue his ministry. There's a second category, and that's those who have a good message and bad motive. Paul uses phrases we just read, like envy and rivalry. Selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they could stir up trouble for me. It's not that these people are anti-Jesus. It's that these folks are anti-Paul. Maybe it's because Paul has a platform. We say today that he was trending. He's gone viral. In social media, everyone's following him. But now that he's in prison, that opens this market share of opportunity for others, right? And maybe they'd come in and so they're preaching Jesus, but their motive is not good. Paul's in jail. Hey, why is Paul in jail? He must have done something wrong. He was preaching about Jesus, but something happened. So maybe we can make his followers our followers. We can make his donors our donors. 
The message they're preaching is still good, but their motive that they're working with is bad. So here's what I would say. God wants pastors, teachers, individual Christians, and churches not to compete with each other, but to complete each other. Different churches do things differently. That's good. It's that we need to guard our hearts so that we're not translating what we like and how we do things as if everyone should like this and do it this way. Let me just say this. We want to be a church that does what God has called us to do and rejoices with other, church, other churches that they are doing what God has called them to do. Well, in addition to these two categories, good message, good motive, good message, bad motive, there are two other categories of Christian leaders and churches that Paul talked about in his letter. Uh, later in his letter, let me just mention them briefly right here. There are those who have a bad message, but good motive. Those will be folks that we'll see in chapter 4. And worst of all, in chapter 3, there are those that have a bad message and bad motive. These aren't really Christians. Their only desire is to trash Jesus and to trash Paul. Paul moves on in his writings. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, being in prison, will turn out for my deliverance. Now, he doesn't know if that means delivered from jail or delivered from this life. But for Paul, he's going to find joy in the midst. So no matter what you're going through, there is some kind of good that can come out of it. You may be thinking, I'm not sure I'm even going to make it through this tough time. But there's joy in realizing that this life is not all there is. When you die, you get to go to heaven and it's a forever celebration. And Paul talks about prayer here. And he says, I know that you've been praying for me. That's what we need to be doing is praying for each other. We can ask, how can I pray for you? And we can say to somebody, hey, here's what I need you to pray for me. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. What Paul is saying is, look, hey, I'm in prison. This can go one of two ways. I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. But you know, actually, that statement is true for all of us every day. Paul 
when he writes this. He says, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I could go either way. It's as if Paul knew something about death that we don't know. You see, we try to avoid death at all costs. We take vitamins. We drink bottled water. We wear seatbelts. We wear masks. We stay away from people. But we're all going to die. We know that. He's saying, it's better for you if I stay. If I get out of jail, I can bring you encouragement and, and the good news of Jesus Christ face to face. But it's far better for me if I get to see Jesus sooner rather than later. Now, when Paul says that, he doesn't have a death wish. This is the hope of the gospel. What he's saying is, when you're suffering the most, do what is best for those you love the most. Paul would have every right to be selfish in his suffering, but he's not selfish. He's selfless. You see, for the believer, this changes the way we view life, and it surely changes how we view death. Because Jesus is there when you're living. Jesus is there when you're dying. If you love Jesus, it only gets better. You maybe have heard me say this several times over the years. The best is yet to come. Then he's going to tell us what happens to Christians after they die. Let me go there briefly with you. We've already read these parts. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So death is not just going to a place. It's going to a person, Jesus Christ. Here's what happens when you die if you belong to Jesus. And by that, I mean he has taken your sin and he has given you forgiveness and salvation. And if you have not yet made that ultimate decision, do it today. Give him your sin and let him give you his life. If you belong to Jesus, when you die, your body goes to the ground your soul goes into the presence of God. You are one person, two parts that are separated upon death, but ultimately one day, and this is Philippians 3, and we'll jump there in just a second. Here's what future awaits the children of God. So this is jumping ahead to chapter 3. Paul writes, but our citizenship is in heaven. That's why this place doesn't feel like home for us. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you read your Bible, the more you pray, the less this place feels like home. The more you sing songs about a king and a kingdom, the more this place ceases to feel like home. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. What He's saying is that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose to conquer sin, to forgive you, and to give you a ticket to a party that never ends. And then ultimately through Jesus, your soul and your body reunite 
and it's raised in perfection. You know what that means? That means there are zero people in heaven right now wanting to trade places with you. There is no one in the presence of God right now who's saying, man, I miss social distancing and presidential elections and paying taxes. All right, back to chapter one. Paul is now going to talk about how there's joy in living for Christ. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, it, of the gospel of Christ. Now, what he's saying is, no matter what happens, keep talking about Jesus. Because there are a lot of people who are made aware of Jesus Christ by looking at your life. You may not know this. You may not like this. But you are a billboard for the kingdom. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It's like being on a sports team. You have to pull together, work together to advance the kingdom without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Satan's tactic is to use fear. God's is to use faith. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Paul is saying that Christianity is about salvation and suffering. It's about pain that produces joy. And sometimes we give people a, a really bad view of the gospel and we ask, do you want to go to heaven when you die? But we never ask, and do you want to suffer along the way? But Christianity is both. It is suffering until you're celebrating. This was the path that Jesus took Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There was pain that birthed joy. And it was Jesus' pain that birthed joy for us. The problem in this world is that people are looking for joy in someone or something. But joy comes from above so that you can enjoy whomever or whatever, says the guy in prison. Verse 18, I rejoice. Still verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Verse 25, and I will continue with all of your progress and joy in the faith. 19 times in this letter, he's going to talk about joy. But there are defeaters and neutralizers and bad teaching that comes in and causes cheerless Christianity. Have you ever met a cheerless Christian? Let me just say that a cheerless Christian, a joyless Christian 
is bad advertisement for the good news of Jesus Christ. Instead, know this. You are forgiven. You are loved by God. You have a future. And you are headed to a party in heaven that never ends. Again, this is not to dismiss anything that you might be going through right now. I'm just saying that Jesus is with you every step of the journey. And God has joy big enough for you to throw all your cares his way. When Jesus came down, he brought joy with him. When the Holy Spirit comes down, he brings joy with him. When the kingdom of God comes down, it brings joy with it. Then you can really enjoy life. And that's my prayer for you this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for us all to unwrap this great gift of joy, not just to sing joy to the world, but to receive the joy of Jesus Christ that comes into the world. And God, I thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul. If a guy in prison, while shackled, can write about joy, he's got a secret that we can all learn from. And that is that joy is in Jesus. And it never ends for those who belong to the Lord. Father, I pray favor and blessing and joy on these dear people during this Christmas season. In Jesus' good name and in the prayer that he taught us saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.